You notice that David does something more than give you adjectives describing the Word of God. He actually gives you verbs. He doesn't tell you just what it is. He also tells you what it does. He says it revives your hearts. He says when you're, when you're meditating, when you're meditating on the Word of God, it takes you, when you're down, when you're out, when you're beaten up, all of a sudden your heart is resurrected. He says it makes simpletons wise. be so simple. We go on the internet, we listen to internet prophets, we get batted to and fro. We listen to politicians, we get batted to and fro. David says the word of God takes you from being a simpleton and it makes you wise. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than, than honey from the honeycomb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is God's word. One of the things that's been interesting to observe in my life is the way that words have changed. 
And one of the words that's changed in sort of an ironic way is the word meditation. When I say meditation, what do you think of? I say meditation, what do you say? (laughs) You think of health benefits and certain poses and soft music. You think of mental blankness. And it's ironic, isn't it? Because it actually connotes the exact opposite of what it denotes. Meditation is not mental blankness. It is mental activity. That's what the word means. It's what you're thinking about. It's an imaging that you're cherishing. It's a story that you're processing. It's an idea that's thickening in your head and in your heart. That's what meditation is. And regardless of what you think about the practices of mental blankness, it is something that we all do almost all the time. Even when you sleep, you often still dream. You're meditating. You're thinking about things. You're processing things. You're seeing images. You're doing stories. You're trying to figure it out. You're meditating. We do it all the time. The only question is, on what? It's an important question to think about what we're meditating on, to meditate on what we're meditating on. You can find a lot from what you're meditating on, the, the importance of it. You find out what your heart is, actually. Like, like if you're meditating a lot on getting revenge on somebody, the perfect comeback line, whammo! <laughs> your heart is full of vengeance. If you've got these bad guys in your heart, these are the bad guys, I hope they really don't, don't make it in the world. You're demonizing somebody in your heart, you actually lack Christ's love. What you meditate on can reveal your own heart to you. It actually it shapes your behavior too. Like this. If we meditate for a while on a chocolate bar, you know what you're going to do when you're going to go home? <laughs> Get an amen for that. It reveals yourself to you. It, it guides your actions. It pushes you in certain directions. But it, have you ever thought about this? Your meditations are what torture you the most. You do it to yourself. You ever thought about this? Everybody, everybody here, we have everything that we bodily need. Everybody here. No, nobody, nobody that I know of is being tortured in a very bodily way. I can't, I've never heard of anybody having electrical pulses being shot through them. You're not being tortured. You torture yourself with your own meditations. This is a psalm. This is a psalm. That's about meditation. Meditates on meditation. We find this out in very rare move. David writes this psalm. Very rare move. The end of the psalm. You find out what it's about. It's about meditation. But here's the refreshing part. He says, may the words and may the meditations of my heart be pleasing to God. What is it about? 
This isn't about self-help today. This is about worshiping God with the mind. This isn't about trying to stop torturing our own souls. This is about worshiping God with the heart. This is Christian meditation. I'm going to take you through this meditation on meditation that is the psalm. And I'm going to take you through it in the three moves, the exact same three moves that David himself makes first. We're going to see that Christian meditation is an upward meditation. Then it's an outward meditation. And finally, it's an inward meditation. Upward, outward, and then inward first. David pushes Christian meditation upward. He takes us outside. And he says, look up. He says, do you see it? Have you noticed it recently? I want you, I want, here's what I want you to do today. David says, I want you to notice what you're not noticing. I want you to see what you're not seeing. I want you, I want you to see what you've become too accustomed to. I want you to look up and see. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. All you got to do is look up. The skies, David says, they speak a global language without even speaking. You know, the cloud that's lilting on the breezes, it is, David says, it is, it's, it's screaming at you. It's chatty, even though it says absolutely nothing. They're always preaching. David says when you, see, when, you, when you see what you don't normally see, when you look at what you don't, don't normally look at, when you, when you listen to the preaching that happens without any words at all, he says when you do that, then you're going to know something else. You're going to see the sun. God has placed the sun inside a canopy. God has done this. God has, has made it so that the sun comes out of its, its bridal chamber like, like, like a man who's coming just out, outside of his bridal chamber. He's just gotten married. And he comes out and he runs his course with joy in a perfect arc. David comes up and he says, look up. I want you to see the skies. The ancients, they call this the book of nature. That's what they call it. They call it the book of nature. We are to see God's creation and we are to read God out of his works. Probably the most famous Christian who has ever written about this is a guy by the name of Francis of Assisi. He writes a poem. 
It's one of the most famous poems in Christian history. It's called The Canticle of Brother, Son, and Sister Mood. He wrote this in the poem. He said, Praise be you, my Lord, with all your creatures, especially Sir Brother's Son, who is the day through whom you give us light. And he is beautiful and radiant with great splendor. Of you most high, he bears likeness. Did you hear that? Of he most high, the sun bears likeness. St. Francis of Assisi, he looks at the sun and he reads it and he sees God. The question is, do you? Do you read the book of nature? As you think about that question, I'd like you to consider this. That the book of nature has changed in recent years. It seems like the sun has gotten a whole lot less chatty. The sun, instead of being God's hero, God's champion that bursts across the sky in a perfect arc according to God's will, has become a burning ball of gas that goes up on a predetermined axis. Instead of being amazed that frogs jump at all, we take them into a biology lab and we dissect them. Instead of looking up at the moon and being awed, we get in rockets and we try to conquer it. Do you read the book of God's creation or do you merely live in God's creation to exploit it and use it for your own good? Think about God's creation. Have you ever thought about this? Why is it not in 2D? Why is it in 3? Why is it that in every corner of the creation there's something stunning, something beautiful, something incredible, a, a waterfall to gaze at, a mountain to peak, a river to row, a tree to stare at, a, a butterfly that floats? Why? Because the creation is meant for so much more than surviving. It's meant for this. Earlier this week, I was taking a walk with my dog. Just me and the dog. And I was thinking about this poem from David. And there was these lines in the poem that I started to enter into. It says night to night and day to day in the poem. And it made me think about transitions. I don't know how it is for you, but my favorite times of day are when the sun is rising and when the sun is setting. My favorite times of day. And there I am, I'm walking the dog, I crest the hill. And the sun is just peeking up. And it's this perfect moment. The sun hits a cloud overhead. There's this bright yellow glow on this one side. And then lancing through it, there were these purples and these pinks 
these amazing colors. And then I turned around. I'm like turning around, looking at all of this because I'm on top of a hill. And I turn around, all of a sudden I see the moon. And the moon is full. That's what it was earlier this week, this perfect moon. And it was like this jewel in the sky. And I felt like I could like take it and, and pluck it like a piece of fruit out of the sky. It was so big. And it was achingly, achingly beautiful. And it said nothing. But at the exact same time, it said everything. Take your thoughts and let them go upward as you meditate on God's creation. This is the first move that David makes in the psalm. And then he makes another one. For David, it's a seamless transition, I think. He starts talking about the book of God's creation that we're supposed to read and see God. And it makes him think of another book. The book of the Torah in Hebrew, the book of God's instruction, the book of God's word. All of a sudden, he starts talking about it. If I told you that this was an instruction on God's word, I'd ruin it for you because it's not what it is. It's not an instruction on God's word. It's a hymn. David said God's Torah, God's instruction, God's word, he says, is perfect. He means more than there's no mistakes in it. He means by that 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 it lacks nothing, that it's complete, David says. God's word is everything that you need for body and life. That's what David is saying. It's perfect. It is everything that you need for time and eternity. It's everything. It's perfect, David says. He says it's trustworthy when, when, when our knowledge is so fragmentary, when, it, when there's politicians that are manipulating, when there's theologians that are speculating, when there's somebody who just wants to get from you whatever they want to get from you, here is something that's trustworthy, David says. It's, it's trustworthy. It's, it's life-giving, David says. And it's, and it's radiant. And it's right. And it's true. David is just waxing poetic about the Word of God. This is an, an instruction on the Word of God. It is a hymn to the Word of God. But then you notice something if you listen to David carefully. You notice something very, very, very quickly. You notice that David does something more than give you adjectives describing the Word of God. He actually gives you verbs. He doesn't tell you just what it is. He also tells you what it does. He says it revives your hearts. He says, when you're, when you're meditating, when you're meditating on the Word of God, it takes you, when you're down, when you're out, when you're beaten up, all of a sudden your heart is resurrected. He says it makes simpletons wise. We can be so simple. We go on the internet, we listen to internet prophets, we get batted to and fro. We listen to politicians, we get batted to and fro. David says the word of God it takes you from being a simpleton and it makes you wise 
gives you joy when you're anxious, when you're worried, when life, I don't know. David says it's like wine for your heart. It gives you joy. It's light for your eyes. And David said this is why it's so valuable. You know, it's so valuable. It's like he runs out of comparisons. He says it's, it's, it's more valuable, much more valuable than fine gold. Much fine gold, he says. It's like I heard somebody say, who wants to be a millionaire? Remember that show? Who wants to be a millionaire, David says? Who needs to? You have the word of God. That's my final answer. Nobody remembers the show. He says it's like honey on a honeycomb. Love that stuff. This is your external, your outward meditation on the Word of God. Does it make you think about what you meditate on externally? It should. We took a flight to visit people over Christmas. There we are. It was Christmas Day. We're in the airport. Do you know what I saw? Everybody was meditating. It was amazing. I said to my wife, look, everybody's meditating. Everybody was. The whole airport. We walked through it. Everybody's meditating. They even had the pose. You've seen it before. They were meditating. Everybody was. Did you know this used to be, this is what we used to say. The jury was kind of out, we said, about what technology does to people. That's what we used to say. We don't say that too much anymore. I was at a pastor's conference. We had a very highly regarded speaker come, a guy by the name of Dr. Mark Paustin said the same thing I'm saying. He said, the jury used to be kind of out about what technology is doing to us. He said, the jury's coming in. There was a pretty explosive piece that came out this fall. Meta, formerly known as Facebook, was exposed to their internal files. They did studies themselves, Meta did, about what their platform was doing to teenage girls. just want to read to you what it said. 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. Turns out that that article that was entitled, Instagram is a cesspool, is true. Apparently, being on the internet makes people sick. What are you meditating on? I have these conversations with people all too often. Somebody tells me, 
I've been watching YouTube a lot. Then they tell me what it does to them. Pastor, I'm struggling with hatred. People scroll. They scroll. We all do this. I'm not trying to get all judgy. We scroll. Why? Because we're so bored and uninterested and sometimes sad about our own lives and we're distracting ourselves. Why are you, what are you meditating on? Why are you doing it? We have an invitation to be healed, to be loved, to be encouraged, to be corrected, to be resurrected. What are you meditating on? What, are, what is it doing to you? Of course, now we've turned a corner, haven't we? We've moved from upward meditation to outward meditation. Now we're starting to think about inward meditation. We're starting to think about it. What are we meditating on? I'm meditating on something. We're meditating on our own meditations. We're turning inward now. What are you doing? There's a chief meditation that David has. I want to take you to it, to this inward meditation. We've got to go there now. This is hard. We've got to go there. You start out right in the poem. You start out. Let's see if I can take you there. You start out. And you start looking up at the sky and you see God's skies. They proclaim God's glory. You look up and you see the sun. There's the sun and it's God's perfect agent. Day after day it runs the perfect arc of life, giving its glow to all mankind. Do you do that? I got up this morning, God, all day I ran a perfect arc. Everything I touched turned to gold. The sun does that. Do you? David's thinking about it. That's just moving to the second part of the poem. Second part, God's word is God's word resurrects, and God's word is true, and God's word is, is trustworthy. It not only talks about what it is, it talks about what it does. This is what God's word does. Do you? Do you? think about our meditations we're meditating on meditation what are you thinking about why do you think about it so important so I want to press that for a second here we're learning beyond a shadow of a doubt that God cares a whole lot more than just about your behaviors cares about your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. What are we going to do, God? I was on YouTube a lot this week. Meditating on meditating, it's so humbling. If you let it, it can unmask you to yourself. That's what it did to David. 
comes the end of his poem. You know what he says? He goes, he goes into this full-on, all-out confession. That's what it is. I don't know how else to describe it. It's full-on, all-out confession. He's thinking about what he's been thinking about. He says, Lord, I want to just, Lord, I just got to tell you. I am so sinful, he says. I don't even know all my sins. That's what he says. Lord, I'm so bad, I don't even know how bad I am. Lord, I got so much grit and grime in the sewer that can be in my mind. He says, it, I, I, I can't even count it out. Lord, it's hidden. I've got these hidden faults. That's what he says. And then he doesn't stop there. I told you this is an all-out confession. He's just starting. This is an all-out confession. He says, Lord, this is how bad I am. And he says, Lord, this is how, what capacity I have to be bad. That's what he ends up. He says, Lord, this is how bad I am. I'm so bad that I could love sin more than I love you. That's what he says. He says, Lord, I can't even do it. I can't even stop myself from sinning. He says, Lord, you have to keep me from willful sins. I can't even do that myself. I'm so bad. I don't know how many sins I got. And I'm so bad that I have an incredible capacity for sin. Lord, you have to stop me from it. That's David. That's David. I'm out of time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up and I'm going to turn the corner. I heard a preacher once say that the reason why preaching in the United States is often so bad is that preachers preach safe sermons. And they preach safe sermons because they actually don't want people to change. I thought about that. I know today I want people to change. I want to change. God cares about what's in our minds, what we meditate on. He cares about what you offer to him there. I want to change. I want you to change. Maybe you think about the book of God's creation and you think, I need to take a walk more often. Or maybe, maybe you think, I just got to notice. I just got to, I just got to see. Think about what the skies are saying about God. I just want to stop and smell a flower again. Think about God. Maybe it pushes you in another direction. You say, man, I got to delete an app. I'm going home. I'm deleting an app. I'm done. There's stuff I got to unplug from and there's stuff I got to plug into. I'm going to delete an app and I'm going to buy a Bible. Or I'm going to come to stuff more at peace. I want to change. I want you to change. But if that's all that you take from this sermon, I've utterly failed you. Sometimes people change and they get farther from God. I see that. They make changes in their behavior, then they think they're really good people, and they 
get farther from God even as they think they've gotten closer to him. They just become proud. And if that's all I accomplish, a few changes, and then you become proud, and then you actually get farther from God, even as your behaviors get better, then I have failed you. Here's where it can actually do you a favor. When you meditate on your own meditations, what it does, it, it unmasks you to yourself. When you take your last week, you gather it up in your arms of meditation, you say, God, here it is. And then God looks back and he says, you meditated on what for four hours? Lord, have mercy, right? Think about this, if you want to get in there with David. Think about this. Do you realize that most of the sins of your mind you've totally forgotten about? Your faults are hidden from you. You can't even remember them. And if you want to be humble, try this for the next week. Try to control your own mind. Can you do it? Lord, have mercy. Here's where David takes you. You got to hear me now. If you haven't heard me in the rest of the sermon, you got to hear me now. Because David takes you to the mountaintop. He says, the Lord, the Lord is my rock and my redeemer. Aren't you moved by that? I'm so moved by that. Come to the mountain peak with David. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my redeemer. That is who he is. When your mind is like wax, and it gets imprinted. When your heart is like water that gets channeled. When you move so easily by your external meditations. You know what you need? You need God. You need Him to be your rock. You need Him to love you when you flow. And you need Him to be your Redeemer. You need him to be a God who says, I will go into the sewers. I will go into the mess that is your mind. And I will redeem you. I will be a kinship by blood. I will commit to you. You need God to be your rock. You need him to be your redeemer. You need him to be a strong mountain of love when your sins are so much. You need him to be so tender with his love that he won't stop loving you when you are so loveless. You need him to be your rock. You need him to be your redeemer. And dear people of God, he is. While we were still powerless, the Word of God says, Christ died for the ungodly. He is your rock. When you, when we were still sinners, the Word of God says, Christ died for us. He's your Redeemer. Take that 
Take that meditation and lift it up to God today. Lift it up to God. Here, God, here is Christ, my rock and my redeemer. This is a pleasing meditation. This is a pleasing meditation, beautiful beyond all worlds, a salvation beyond all salvations, because this is the gospel that revives you, that gives you joy, and that, dear people of God, this time of year is an eternity of epiphany for your mind. Let's pray. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.